0: Love what you hear? Be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, and even our D and D adventure. If you're an athlete, you know, the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same Jersey as you to be your best. Every time you step on the field, that's why
1: there's no vape in team. When you vape,
0: Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast
1: where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I'm your host, Alex Kendall, and I'm your host, Derek Baker.
0: And today we'll talk about not the original, but a very influential space opera out there uh, that comes into the realm of Mass Effect.
1: Yeah, man, such a I I mean, I'm going to say it such a massive game. Listen, that's the joke of the day right there.
0: But it is. It's, it's a huge game that Bioware developed coming off of KOTOR or Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, using that same kind of system within, you know, the kind of the combat, same thing they use for Dragon Age, but really trying to top Star Wars, top Star Trek, you know, top 2001 A Space Odyssey, and become this kind of the video game version of those universes. Make this huge universe... With amazing choices, quality content, and trying to establish, I think, I really established Bioware.
1: Yeah, and I think it was one of those games where we had seen plenty of space games, sure. And we had seen things in the Star Trek realm and the Star Wars realm in gaming. This was really like the first attempt at making a space game where your choices really, really mattered. It did, because everything that you decided in the game,
0: whether it was to accept this mission or that mission with your crewmates, whether you kind of swooned them or pushed them aside, it affected the end game as well as a lot of the stuff that happened in it. And this set the precedent for a lot of games going forward for those dialogue options that we see in like Fallout 3, that we see in any of the other future games that follow even in those footsteps to give the player or give the illusion of choice for the player to make them feel even more
1: engaged. Yeah, man, absolutely. Let's, uh, let's talk about the game. Explore the stars, romance your fellow crewmates, and stop the Reapers in Mass Effect. Mass Effect is an action RPG slash third-person shooter developed by BioWare and published by Microsoft Game Studios. It was released on November 20th, 2007. The player steps into the shoes of Commander Shepard in the 22nd century who encounters an ancient alien race called the Reapers, who seek to purge the Milky Way of all intelligent life. Commander Shepard must learn more about the Reapers and stop them before it's too late. Commander Shepard is fully customizable from their gender to their personality. The character makes choices and dialogue options that lead them down one of two paths, Paragon and Renegade. These decisions can affect character relationships and plot points based on whether the player decides to be good or evil. The player can even choose to form a romantic relationship with other characters, and the game allows for either hetero or homosexual relationships. The player can also choose from six different character classes and can grow a skill tree, gaining talent points to unlock skills as the game progresses. The weapons in the game include pistols, sniper rifles, shotguns, and assault rifles all of which have unlimited ammo. However, they can all overheat if fired continuously for too long. Grenades are also available, which stick themselves to enemies or flat surfaces. The game was released for the Xbox 360, but not before being delayed from Spring 2007. After a few additional delays, the game would find itself on the PC and eventually the PlayStation 3.
0: And as we know, legendary BioWare is behind the game. So to give you guys a breakdown of who, what, when, where BioWare is, BioWare was founded by two Canadian doctors of medicine, Ray Muzuka and Greg Zestchuk, who decided to work on video games rather than people. They met at the University of Alberta, where they worked together on educational medical programs for the Faculty of Medicine. Augustine Yip would join them in developing those medical simulation programs. And after a few years of friendship, and with their knowledge of programming, they decided to take the leap into gaming. Together, they formed BioWare in 1995 and pooled $100,000 of their own money to create their first game, Shattered Steel. They would later sign with Interplay, earning back their initial investment in Shattered Steel and giving them the resources they needed to further create more games. BioWare's founders and staff were keenly interested in both computerized and pen and paper variants of role-playing games. Their development project, therefore, was determined to be a role-playing game when Interplay, you know, started talking to them about the finances. And when Interplay financed this quote-unquote exploratory development, BioWare presented the publishers with a demo called Battleground Infinity. Interplay suggested that the demonstrated gameplay engine would be well-suited to the Dungeons & Dragons license, which it had acquired from strategic simulations. Accordingly. Infinity was reworked in line with the Dungeons & Dragons rule set. The result was Baldur's Gate, with a development cycle of three years. And during this time, the three doctors continued to practice medicine. The demands of development later prompted Mazuka and Zeschuk to leave medicine and move into full-time development. Augustine Yip decided to continue with his medical practice and kind of let the two continue on working with the games. Baldur's Gate sold more than 2 million copies after its release, nearly matching the sales of Diablo. Following the success of Baldur's Gate, the Infinity Engine was used for games Planetscape, Torment, and the Icewind Dale series. The success of Baldur's Gate was followed by an expansion pack for the game Tales of
1: the Sword Coast. The studio would go on to develop the MDK sequel for the Dreamcast and Baldur's Gate 2, But these were not enough to keep publisher Interplay afloat, and they eventually shut down. The studio would keep their heads up and start work on Neverwinter Nights, an MMO allowing servers to host 75 players at a time, with the ability to connect servers as well. They released the game in 2002. During the development of Neverwinter Nights, LucasArts approached BioWare about developing a game for the next-gen console using the Star Wars license. BioWare could not refuse. They had some freedom with the game, since it was set 4,000 years before the movies. And like previous releases, BioWare's Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic was a success. In 2005, BioWare would team up in development of games with Pandemic Studios, a company formed by former Activision employees. The next year, they would open up a studio in Austin, Texas. During the Knights of the Old Republic's development, Microsoft would have their eyes set on BioWare, and asked them to develop an original IP exclusive for the Xbox, the Asian-themed fantasy title Jade Empire. With the overwhelming success of their most recent titles, it was clear that Bioware had quickly become one of the best Western RPG developers, and they sought to strengthen this ideal even further. I don't know if you
0: played Jade Empire, but that is hands down one of my favorite Xbox title games. Uh, It was a super awesome RPG where you could play different multiple characters, uh, who had a whole bunch of different abilities, like using a bow staff, using different weaponry. Super, super fun. Really cool story with it as well.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I really my first game with Bioware was uh, Dragon Age. Mm-hmm. But everything that I've read about all the games they've done, especially Knights of the Old Republic, I mean, glowing, amazing reviews. Oh,
0: absolutely. it's It's an establishment. KOTOR is an establishment, and it looks like we're potentially getting a remake coming up which would be fantastic because the story in that is so cool. The RPG elements of it that basically Dragon Age was built upon are simply amazing. So it's, it's really cool to see these start of where Bioware came from and using all those bits of Baldur's Gate and KOTOR, even a little bit of Jade Empire, seeing its way into Mass Effect series, seeing its way into the Dragon Age series and possibly some of the new stuff they have coming up. And, Again, really what took that development off was KOTOR. So when Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic was finished, Bioware had no intention of creating a sequel. So around the summer of 2003, the question was, what's next for us? Bioware's co-founder, Ray Mizuka and game director Casey Hudson wanted to bring in the Knights of the Old Republic team onto a new project and would start to come up with ideas on what exactly this new project was going to be. Eventually a character-driven space opera was decided upon. Another question was then raised. What does someone want out of a real sci-fi game? They were creating their own universe, so the possibilities were endless, which, in hindsight, is a really great idea and a really bad idea, because there's no limits to it. The player needed to feel special and important from the beginning to the end of the game. Some ideas for names were thrown around in emails, such as Fractured Helix, Star Citadel... SFX, and the Oculon, all of which Hudson hated. Eventually, Bioware co-founder Greg Zuchuk suggested Mass Effect. Hudson did not hate it, so they rolled with it.
1: And I mean, what a path to run through all those ideas and really not have any kind of direction whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so hard, I think, to not have a clear vision to start. Let's talk about how they did create the game. The game was designed around Bioware's four design pillars story and character, a sense of awe and discovery, expanding your character's abilities, and combat that makes you feel something, such as fear. It took six to eight months of creating the universe and lore before pre-production even began. They tossed around ideas about robots, AI, time travel, and cloning, but they mainly focused on the ideas of what they wanted the player to do in the game. They wanted the player to have a ship that can travel the universe, this ship also needed to feel like a real ship with the crew on board, ready to strike up a conversation. Which I think they did. I, it's
0: one of those games that I think they... Because, listen, if you, if you give me a game and you got some characters I can talk to on my ship, Skies of Arcadia, Mass Effect, uh, Dragon Age Inquisition later on, you got me hooked. I love talking to people. And like having a crew. I think that's really... That's why I like Assassin's Creed Brotherhood as well.
1: Was like having like this crew with you that could do stuff, and what was great about Mass Effect is striking up those conversations uh, were more than just like the general, like "Hey, how's it going?" Mm-hmm. And then you know you run past them and whatever. I mean, there's some of that in every game, of course, because you can't have every single character available for like a full conversation all the time. Sure, but you know, being able to explore a deeper conversation with the crew was what really made mass effects environment feel unique. It it did.
0: And this is one of the games where there's so much voice acting that we're going to talk about in here that it really immersed you in that space opera. It really made you invested even inside characters or just random NPCs that were fully voiced that we're going to learn. were actually fully voiced by a lot of the main characters as well. And just given a different flair or different, you know, spin to it to be these different alien races.
1: You can imagine that the amount of effort that it took to really create that environment meant that they had to have a great writing staff. And so for this game, five out of the 12 riders at Bioware were assigned. Luckily, they were given a fair amount of freedom when riding within the scope of the game's narrative. There was a rider assigned to each world in the game, starting with backstory of the world, then adding characters and their backstories. Everything that someone writes is reviewed by other writers. The overall script itself, though, is one of the first things completed for a Bioware game. Balancing the RPG and shooter elements of the game was done through countless trials and errors. Luckily, Bioware was able to work with Microsoft Test Labs, giving Bioware all the resources they needed to create a game that was balanced for the players. That, to me, made a huge impact as
0: well. Having a major conglomerate studio behind you that can be like, hey, yeah, we're gonna do all the, you know, R and R, R and D, R and Z, R and B, <laughs> all the different things that we need to make sure this balance comes through. Because for an RPG, you want to make sure that for a normal player, there's not a super overpowered or super underpowered element to it. You know, obviously as people played it more, you figure out the exact skill tree to become a god in the game. Sure. But as far as like your general playthrough, you want to make sure that the gunplay feels good, but the RPG element of it isn't just tack on or it isn't too overwhelming. So I, th- I think they did really well with that. Yeah. And that really led to them, you know, expanding the scope after they've got this first one somewhat nailed down in some of the ideas they have, because eventually they decided that the game was going to be a trilogy. They would pitch the idea to Microsoft at their Xbox show in 2005 in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, where the game debuted. The catch was that they wanted to create the trilogy for a single Xbox generation. With this, development would be a lot smoother, not having to worry about upgrading to another generation's, you know, gear and hardware, and learning how to develop for that new platform. They also wanted the game to be a trilogy because they thought Mass Effect could be the grandest sci-fi story ever told. They wanted something that would take three games to tell, as most other great sci-fi stories come in threes. The biggest thing about Mass Effect being a trilogy, though, was that your saved progression will transfer to the next game. So that means all the decisions you've made, which Commander Shepard you picked, and how your crew kind of interacted with you transfers over, so continues that space opera And continues those ideas.
1: And this is one of my favorite things about the Bioware games. And I remember for Dragon Age, even if you didn't play the first one, you could actually go onto their website, plug everything in that you may have picked had you played the game. Mm -hmm. And those decisions could then be loaded onto your user profile. And you could play the second game without having to go through the trouble of playing the first. And maybe you, you lost data or something like that too, you know? It,
0: or, ch- or change consoles or something.
1: Yeah, it just saved a lot of time and it made it possible to jump into these kind of games at any point. It was a great idea.
0: It was. And as I had said, Mass Effect is very reminiscent of sci-fi classics such as Star Wars and Star Trek, but has a great blend of cosmic horror as well. BioWare's influence for the game comes from films such as Blade Runner, Galaxy Quest, Flight of the Navigator, 2001: A Space Odyssey, Aliens, Terminator, Battlestar Galactica, and The Fifth Element. There's also one film that not a lot of people realize inspired the game, Final Fantasy: The Spirits Within. Mass Effect Three art director Derek Watts stated about the Final Fantasy inspiration, "Quote, yeah, you know we actually referenced a lot from Final Fantasy: The Spirits Within. We used a lot of their GUIs or their graphical user interfaces." and the way they did their ship. That was kind of like in some of the early designs for the Normandy. Watts continues. Our attack helicopters are loosely based off that movie. There's some great stuff, especially their glowing GUI screens. We use those a lot. I keep a folder of that stuff, and I still actually tell the guys, just go back and look at that. Change it like that. So it's really cool to see that not only, you know, I think everyone references, like, we're going to be the Star Wars. We're going to be the Star Trek. But to get those different bits of ideas from, you know, different animations, different older films some shows to get an idea of really where they want to take it. Because one thing that they really wanted to focus on as well, when we get to our music section, is that they wanted that 80s vibe. They wanted that 80s synthy space vibe going with it to bring in what they think is kind of like the quintessential space era.
1: And everyone wants to be the Star Wars. Everyone Mm -hmm. wants to be Star Trek. And what that takes beyond just an artistic design choice is great characters. And so let's talk about the voiceover talent. The game needed to be carried by the voice talent and written dialogue. With over 28,000 lines written for the game, over 400,000 words, and over 300 unique characters. Bioware looked far and wide to make sure they had the right actors and actresses for the game. Sometimes casting actors for a character that had not fully been written yet. Commander Shepard's voice actor, Mark Meir, did not start on the project doing Shepard, rather doing voices and sounds for the aliens and villains. He had already been working with Bioware, so it was obvious to bring him in for the next project. During the concept stage of development, he was brought in to look at concept art and give his interpretation of what these creatures and aliens would sound like. During these sessions, to his surprise, he was asked to audition for the role of Shepard. Throughout the process, he just assumed he would not get the role, but he landed it. And now he was voicing the lead character and a bunch of aliens. Yeah, it's it's funny. when I love a lot of the stuff we talk
0: about with voiceovers, especially like VO Talent. They go in for something. It may be built already. It may not be. And especially when you're like, yeah, uh, Mir, just do a bunch of the aliens. Like, (laughs) okay, perfect. That sounds great. Uh, We'll call you back. And then you get the lead role, but also the alien role. He's right. fantastic. Yeah. And they did really I mean they did really well with it. And and again, there's a lot of voice actors in this. So Derek, who's in this? What well, happened with this?
1: <laughs> Most of the other voice actors were also auditioning for a game that had not really been made yet. They were just going off of concept art and ideas. Bioware would recruit actors like Jennifer Hall for Commander Shepard, uh, the female, Keith David, Seth Green. Lance Henriksen, and Marina Sirtis to voice additional characters in Mass Effect. Seth Green improvised a lot of his lines by ad-libbing during recording sessions. Though this resulted in great dialogue, it was a great deal of work to go back into the game itself and edit the script to fit in Green's new lines.
0: I mean, come on. You're putting Seth Green in, you kind of know what you're getting into with it, but it's great going up to your, because he plays like your pilot, Right. So going up to talk to him and just hear some of those random things and the retorts you have to do, it's just so good.
1: I mean, with a game like this, where everything is specific dialogue paths, mm-hmm. I feel like ad-libbing or having a voice actor ad-lib is, while it's probably really entertaining, maybe one of the most stressful things that could happen, you know? You 100%. Would just, you would sit there and you'd be like, Seth, Seth. I Come love on. you, Seth, baby. I love you. <laughs> but please, skip. stick to the script. You're costing me a lot of money.
0: Yeah, and, and luckily it's only one. Like, that's the thing. If you just had everyone jumping in, just being like, I think it should go like this. And you just have, like, no connection between any of the characters, and it's just random lines smashing together. <laughs> I'd still play a game like that, but it probably wouldn't be a Bioware one. Yeah. Now, the other thing they wanted to focus on is making sure that that main character is someone who could be built from the ground up, allowing the player to really feel like they are, in fact, Commander Shepard. Though this person could not just truly be a blank slate. They wanted the character to have some identifiable flair. Within this main character build, you can also customize Shepard's background, allowing more choice in the beginning of the game. Since the game has RPG elements, players could pick what their character says, giving the player the option to build relationships, destroy them, and honestly much more this would lead to hundreds of hours of recording per main character of the game. This also meant the voice talent would go through dozens and dozens of iterations for a line because the impact of it may be different depending on what is going on in the game for you. So if you're going down that evil path, it may be more of an aggressive response to something with that character feeling either more dejected or more hurt or, you know, on the flip side, more of an endearing one that they may feel a little bit more connected to it. And after almost four years and over 100 people working on the game, Mass Effect was released to the masses. And the game had cost an upwards of $40 million to develop, which I guess in today's standards of top tier games, that's kind of like a drop in the bucket. But if you're talking about 07, I mean, that is is major, major Hollywood budget.
1: When you're talking about an IP, I mean, they were taking a risk here, Mm so... They had to really believe in what was happening. This was one of the best eras, in my opinion, of Xbox 360 IP. And it was because of things like this, where they were willing to invest and willing to put money into something to back it to make the Xbox a success. And they
0: had to because, you know, the original Xbox release did okay. It did well. I mean, it had Halo, had some other big titles, but the 360 was the heavy hitter for Microsoft. You saw Gears of War, more Halo. Mass Effect, Dragon Age, and so many other major titles that some were cross-platform, but a lot was exclusively released for the 360 and put it on the map. I mean, if we're talking greatest game of 360 of all time, I mean, it's Geometry Wars, but absolutely, if we're jumping into some big ticket items, you know, we'll we'll talk about this.
1: Not that they're worth talking about anyway, because Geometry (laughs) Wars is really all that you needed. That and uh, Hexic HD... Yep.
0: You just need your your free kind of
1: uh, Xbox Marketplace games and you're set. (laughs) So $40 million development cost. Obviously, they wanted this to be a success. So let's talk a little bit about how they marketed everything. Microsoft had several titles to market in 2007. Heavy hitters that you already touched on like Halo 3, um, Gears of War. There was also Call of Duty Modern Warfare. So Mass Effect's marketing needed to appeal to a more mature audience as it featured sexual content that was not suitable for a younger crowd. And this would include a series of trailers, interviews, and popular gaming magazines and print ads. I remember when the
0: hype for this game really started and when people were trying to vibe with it because we hadn't really had a space exploration game yet. And this had promised that of going to multiple planets, exploring many different areas and interacting with a bunch of different alien races that overall were somewhat reminiscent of Star Wars, Star Trek, but
1: had their own flair to it. And I think that's what people really wanted. Absolutely. On top of the, the interviews, the gaming magazines, the ads, there was a TV commercial and the short commercial showed Commander Shepard denying a request for help from a nearby planet, and instead making his way to another one, highlighting how the game was full of decisions, none of which would be easy. In addition, there was a book, Mass Effect Revelation, which is a prequel to the game, revolving around the main antagonist, Saren, as he investigates an attack on a human research station. This book was written by the lead writer for the game, Drew Carpician. It was released in May 2007, and then there was also a short documentary, which is just a series of interviews from developers of the game, journalists, and celebrities all hyping up Mass Effect. Yeah,
0: they, they really went with it, that Cyverse idea of it, of just really drawing a lot of people in, you know, getting the celebrities on board with it as well as journalists to kind of give you that every facet of everyone loves this. This is the next Star Wars. This is the next Star Trek. So it's how do we hype that up and get those things rolling? And I think it did its job. It it really did. So let's jump over now. We've kind of finished up the game. We've marketed it. What's the gameplay like? Mass Effect is a single player action role playing game in which the player takes the role of Commander Shepard from a third person perspective. Shepard's gender, appearance, military background, combat training, and first name are determined by the player before the game even begins there are six different character classes for the player to choose from, and each of them have different talents that provide enhanced combat capabilities. For example, the Soldier class is trained in weapon damage and has improved health, while the Sentinel class is trained in protecting and healing allies. At one point in the game, players may evolve their base class talent into one of two specializations, which depend on the class chosen by the player. Although any class can use any weapon type, Each class is only effective with the weapon they're trained in. So there are, you know, these different kind of, like the shotgun weaponry, the sniper, things like that. Everyone can use them, but with most RPGs, it's kind of what you're proficient in. So if you're proficient in it, you'll do much better. The game's overworld is a galaxy map that the player can explore to find and complete quests. Most of the quests that progress the story consist of combat missions while optional quests generally involve the player gathering items or interacting with non-player characters or NPCs. As the player progresses throughout the game, six squad members become available, each with their own talents that can be developed. So you can kind of pair them with you if, let's say, you're a soldier, you might want a healer with you, or you might want a tech person. Experience points are gained in multiple ways, such as completing quests, defeating enemies, or finding and collecting items around the environment. Each time a sufficient amount of experience is obtained, the player levels up and is awarded a number of talent points that can be used to develop talents for both Shepard and the members of the squad. Each talent has 12 ranks that can be unlocked, with each rank costing one talent point. And
1: what was great about that, I think, and really sold the game as far as the RPG elements go if you really have a a main character where you're playing a certain role and you don't have the team to go around you, you're so locked into your decisions. Mm -hmm. And so their choice to make the team around you more customizable as well really helps, I think, create that unique experience.
0: And it built that idea of their kind of D&D background going back to Baldur's Gate. You know, you want that squad with you. You want your mage plus your paladin plus your cleric to go with you. Whereas in this, you want your soldier and your tech and your healer to go with you as well to balance that out. Or if you want to go glass cannon, you know, you go all this big, heavy warrior stuff. So it really allows you to play and customize your entire gameplay element within your squad.
1: And so a big part of this game was the exploration aspect. Let's talk about the transportation. The player's primary mode of transportation is a starship which serves as Shepard's base of operations. Aboard the ship, the player can interact with the squad members, buy new equipment, and travel to numerous planetary systems. Although the game features a large number of planets for the player to examine, only a few of them can actually be landed on and explored. Some of them can also be surveyed to search for valuable resources and quest-relevant items. Upon landing on a planet, the player can traverse on foot or by using an all-terrain infantry fighting vehicle called the M35 Mako. Most of the game's main quests are geared toward on-foot combat, but some segments may feature combat requiring the use of the M35 Mako. In contrast, secondary quests usually require the player to explore free-roam, uncharted worlds with the vehicle. Equipment items, which include armor, weapon, and ammunition upgrades, can be found around the environment or purchased from merchants in settlements. This,
0: unfortunately to me, was a great idea. And I know they had basis around like, oh, Final Fantasy is really cool. We'll build the ship. We'll build like the Mako with it. It was one of the things that I know drove a lot of players away because of the repetition of it. And because it was just this bouncy go-kart type feel to it, it didn't feel weighty. It didn't feel like you're on this planet's surface. You just kind of hopped around and scanned.
1: For a game that focused so much on interacting with other people, and the environments, and trying to create a, an actual environment and experience, the planets, to me, always just felt very barren and kind of boring. And it, for me, I fit into that category of, this is one of the biggest turnoffs of the game for me.
0: Mm-hmm. And It was tough. It still, you know, I think it, it did what they wanted it to do, you know, doing ex- exploratory and kind of using it to find those resources or equipment to build up instead of buying it. You can kind of work towards finding it, find the resources for it. Yep. I'm glad spoiler for two. If you haven't played it, you don't do that. You know, you actually get to like play a lot more of it and have some other secondaries with it, but they, they kind of figured out pretty early on. It's not that fun. Let's change it up.
1: Yep. And it's good for them to be able to recognize that, you know, very, very cool idea. But just overall, kind of boring. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's not boring, combat. And combat in Mass Effect is squad-based. There's two squad members that accompany the player on the battlefield. The player has direct control of Shepard, while the squad members are controlled by the game's artificial intelligence. Battles take place in real time, but the player can pause the action at any time to calmly target enemies It's like different talent abilities for the squad members to use. The game uses an over-the-shoulder perspective, akin to a third-person shooter, and features a cover system which allows players to strategically hide behind objects while fighting enemy forces. And I was very grateful for this because this was sort of the time where that wasn't always available in a lot Mm -mm. of shooter games. And to be able to do that was so game-changing. I remember Grand Theft Auto 4 utilized that. Gears of War, of course, utilized mm-hmm. that. But then you had first-person shooters where if you're Master Chief, you were essentially jumping around and trying to crouch and just move left and right as much as possible. It was good to be able to use the environment and combat in Mass Effect. It,
0: it was. And then, again, going back to that D&D style that we see both in Dragon Age and in Mass Effect of pausing... Letting the character go, okay, you're going to stasis this person. Okay, you're going to heal me. Okay, I'm going to fire a grenade at this person. It allowed for more of that tabletop element of it that I think worked okay with the Xbox. I think whenever we got these games to PC, it worked so much better. Just be able to mouse and keyboard around and hit those commands in and kind of hotkey everything. It worked really well. But I think for putting it on a controller base and doing this, I think they still did pretty excellent with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And specifically, you can issue orders to the squad members, sending them to take cover behind objects. They can scout ahead, they can regroup, or they can focus their fire on a designated target. So while it wasn't always the easiest on console, it was great to be able to have that control.
0: It was. And again, going back to kind of those proficiencies in weapons, those range from pistols to shotguns, assault rifles, and sniper rifles. Although all of them have unlimited ammunition, as we had said, you could overheat. And another thing that's, you know, as I talked about before, within your proficiencies is your weapons, and they range from that pistol to shotgun, assault, rifle, and sniper. Within those proficiencies, you obviously get better skill trees. You can use, you know, pistols will either get like kind of like a homing site to it, or you'll just be able to do more damage with them. As well, Shepard and the squad members are protected by a health bar and damage absorbing shields. The health bar only takes damage once the shields have been destroyed, but environmental hazards like heat or toxic agents may directly affect the health bar if they are not negated entirely by wearing appropriate armor for it. The health bar can be restored with the use of items called medigels, while shields automatically regenerate when not taking fire for a brief period. You know, a la Master Chief, a la basically your health and call of duty. You know, it was that time of regen health some talents and equipment items can improve the healing rate or shield regeneration rate. The player can revive fallen squad members with the use of the unity talent. However, if Shepard dies, rip in peace, the player must start the game again from the last save point. That was always a tough one if you didn't save often or if you kind of went through like a really tough area, made it to the boss and died. You're like, oh, I got it all again.
1: Yeah, or if you did save and you saved right after a point where you had just basically barely made it through Mm -hmm. and the next part was really hard, it could be kind of frustrating to start back over from that same point over and over again knowing you weren't going to be able to get to the next part. Yeah, it's like a blessing
0: and a curse because... You know, like me, I get pretty frustrated with the easy, but you know, if you're, if you're a God gamer, you might go in and be like, okay, this strategy isn't working. How can we maneuver my people around? Do we have to do like a sacrificial lamb thing where someone goes in, kind of distracts the boss while I try and take them out from this side? You know, how does that work?
1: You know, for me, top of the staircase Scarface strategy, <laughs> assault rifle and maybe that's why I wasn't very good at this. game. <laughs> you just went with all the characters that just most stuff down, right? Yeah. Understandable. Every time. (laughs) Yeah. And to go over to, I think we're
0: Derek, I know which options you chose, but going over to (laughs) the dialogue and morality options, ideas of the game. During conversations with characters, Mass Effect employs a radial command menu. So like an open circle, you can kind of pick what you want to do called the dialogue wheel where the player's dialogue options depend on wheel direction. The left side of the wheel is normally reserved for options that will continue the conversation in depth while options on the right side tend to move the conversation towards completion. So, you know, trying to get more information on the left side, the right side is just kind of ending it and and heading on.
1: Were you a left side guy or a right side guy? Man, depends who you're talking
0: to. If it's one of those annoying kind of froggy alien people, the Krogans, is that it? I was done with them.
1: yeah. This is one of my weaknesses. I I have a gaming weakness where if I don't exercise every single dialogue option, I'm bothered. Oh, that's that
0: I can understand. Like if if text is still like white instead of grayed out. Yeah. I do that at the beginning of games. If I'm trying to like rush a game I'm not a fan of, I'll just be like, yes, yes, yes. Okay, sounds good. It's interesting too because in this, your responses at the top are generally more polite and selfless. So it's kind of, left continues right will be like okay let's go let's continue the quest top is more of that like good helping out people while the bottom is more aggressive and hostile dialogue choices impact how others react to shepherd and affect the player's chosen morality morality is measured by paragon or charm and renegade which is intimidate so there's a points you can do to kind of continue those conversations These points allow the player to develop talents that affect the availability of new special Paragon and Renegade dialogue options with significant impact in the game. So you can either, same thing in like Fallout, you can either intimidate and have something like that, or you can kind of charm them and win them over. And that will unlock certain things in quests that allow you to either enter an area without having to kind of lockpick it or give you more dialogue choices when you're learning more about a character.
1: And this is another one of my weaknesses. I always want to be able to do both. Mm-hmm. I want to be the one who can intimidate and the one who can persuade. But a game like this and most RPGs, it's just really not feasible. Yeah.
0: Now, do you typically go good or bad path? Because for me, I want to be a bad boy, but, <laughs> but I I can't like I can't like put down that old lady. I gotta be the nice person.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's totally game dependent. Mm-hmm. A lot of it does depend on the story for me. For instance, Red Dead Redemption 2 had a lot of really it was marketed as the game, you know, versus Red Dead 1 where you're trying to redeem yourself. Sure. Red Dead 2 was like, "No, you are a bad guy right now." Mhm. But then as the story kind of goes on and I won't spoil for anybody because we're doing a Mass Effect episode, but as the game goes on, you start to become conflicted with, I think, both sides. It's hard to yes. be an all-good guy. It's hard to be an all-bad guy.
0: And they did that game well to where they're, they're, good and bad were just very loose in that one. Yeah. When you start to like figure out more about people and what you're doing, because you may be doing something bad for a good reason or something good, but you're doing it in a bad way.
1: Yeah. So with a game like Mass Effect... Typically, I look at a Commander Shepard and think, good guy. Mm -hmm. Just kind of off the bat, good guy, bad guy, especially with the antagonist. And you could be a no-nonsense bad guy. Maybe that's the way that you played Mass Effect, you know, intimidating or whatever. But I I guess I'm kind of the same as as you, where I I just want to be the good guy. Mm Mm-hmm. Unless there is a point in the game where one of the characters is just ridiculously rude to me for no reason. And then (laughs) from that point on, all bets are off. (laughs)
0: You, you not tipping me well has led me to just destroy this planet.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about the story. Shepard and Kaiden are sent to the human colony of Eden Prime to recover an unearthed Prothean beacon. They repel an attack by the Geth, rescuing Ashley in the process. Saren Arterius, a rogue Turian specter, activates the beacon before escaping. Shepard reaches the beacon and receives a vague vision showing scenes of war and death. The SSV Normandy and its crew are summoned by Ambassador Donald Udina to the Citadel Station. But Shepard is unable to convince the Citadel Consul of Saren's treason without solid evidence. Shepard rescues Tali, who possesses a recording of a conversation between Saren and Asari matriarch, Benesia. The two discuss their victory while also mentioning an artifact called the Conduit and the return of the Reapers, a highly advanced machine race of synthetic organic starships believed to eradicate organic civilizations every 50,000 years. The Council revokes Saren Spectre's status and makes Shepard the first human spectre. Shepard is also handed command of the Normandy by Anderson and begins to follow several leads provided by him and Udina in pursuit of Saren.
0: On the world of Therum, Shepard rescues Benazia's daughter Lyra Tsoni, who joins Shepard's squad. With her biotic abilities and expertise on Prothean culture, she provides Shepard with better understanding of the vision from the beacon. On the colony of Pharos, Shepard acquires the ability to comprehend and interpret the images seen in the vision from a former subordinate of Benezia, and learns that Saren's flagship, Sovereign, possesses unique mind-control capabilities. On the world of Noveria, Shepard tracks down and defeats Benezia who reveals that she and Saren are being indoctrinated by Sovereign. Meanwhile, the Council informs Shepard that a Salarian infiltration unit has uncovered Saren's main base on Vimir. Upon arrival, Shepard learns that Saren has discovered a cure for the Krogan genetic disease, the genophage, and plans to breed an army of unstoppable Krogan warriors. Rex, who is one of my favorite characters, even though I'm not a big fan of the Krogans, Rex is top tier, Clashes with Shepard over whether to destroy it, which results in either him standing down or being executed. After this conflict, Shepard assists the Salarians in destroying the base by planting Abominant. Inside, Shepard is confronted by Sovereign, who reveals itself
1: to be an actual Reaper. Sovereign reveals that the Reapers remain outside the Milky Way, waiting for organic life to develop and discover the mass relays, before harvesting them when they reach their peak of advancement. Afterwards, Shepard must choose between saving Ashley or Kai, uh, you know, you know, Ash- Ashley, but continue, <laughs> <laughs> who have both been pinned down with the bomb about to explode. Shepard also encounters Saren, who claims that his allegiance to Sovereign will save organic life forms by demonstrating their usefulness to the Reapers. Liara is then able to pinpoint the conduit's location back on the Normandy, a Prothean world known as Elos. There, Shepard learns from a Prothean virtual intelligence, VI, named Vigil that the Citadel Station is actually an enormous mass relay that the Reapers used to invade the galaxy. During the last extinction cycle, a few Protheans survived on Elos via cryopreservation and then re-entered the Citadel Station via the conduit, a reverse-engineered miniature mass relay disguised aboard the station as a statue. The Protheans sabotage the Citadel to prevent the Reapers from remotely activating the Citadel, which Saren plans to undo in order to trigger the Reaper invasion. After fighting through heavy geth forces at the Conduit, Shepard confronts
0: Saren at the Citadel. Saren is either killed by Shepard or commits suicide if Shepard convinces him to doubt his own motivations. The Destiny Ascension, the Citadel's flagship with the Council on board, then requests assistance. Shepard must either risk heavy human casualties to save them or sacrifice the Destiny Ascension to allow the Alliance reinforcements to concentrate on Sovereign. Sovereign then reanimates Saren's corpse to attack Shepard while simultaneously fighting off Citadel forces. Eventually, Saren's corpse is destroyed, incapacitating Sovereign and allowing it to be dispatched by the Alliance. For prevailing, humanity is either invited to join the Council if it was saved, Or becomes its new leader if it was left to perish. Regardless, Shepard can nominate either Anderson or Odina to this leadership position before leaving the proceedings, vowing to end the Reaper threat. Mass Effect really was one of those games that actually had weight on these decisions, which I really enjoyed. Of like, do I let this ship die with the council on board? Or do I risk my own heavy casualties to save this kind of governmental body that will see me as that, that will bring humanity in? Or it's such a back and forth, even even like the first, in my opinion, major choice of either like Kaden or Ashley, who do I choose? I chose
1: Ashley every time. But who do I choose? <laughs> Right, They're, and they make it in a way that there's really no right or wrong decision, mm-hmm. which is the best way to do it, because it's no longer good versus evil, it's just kind of a, how do you feel about a particular, Skyrim has a lot of choices like that, I know Fallout has a lot mm-hmm. of choices like that, where it really feels more on, I don't really know that there's a right answer here, but... Either way, the decision is really important and you have to kind of look at both perspectives yes. and make the decision that way. So it's more of, it's more of a thinking thing.
0: It's, it's much more of that moral compass and putting the weight on you as the player. You know, because a lot of times in games, you're just a passive, you're, you're actively doing it, but cutscenes are passive. If someone dies in a cutscene, it sucks, but, you know, it's kind of pre-programmed. In this, it's basically, you know, it's who do you want to save, but it's also who do you want to die? and and that's such a weight to have to do where you know even though you're just pushing a button you're still making the final decision it's the trolley problem do i save one person or do i save many how do i how do i figure that out how does that moral ambiguity of it settle
1: on my own shoulders and even with all the stuff in the story the, all these decisions the developers of mass effect really actually wanted to make this episodic and when they realized how long it had taken to do the story and do this game and what they had planned, they decided that they were going to just do a DLC instead. And the first DLC pack was bring down the sky and it would contain three assignments, two new locations and one new achievement. Bioware would review negative feedback from the base game and look to improve upon it for this DLC. It was made free for the PC version of the game It was also included in the Xbox 360 Platinum version, along with the PC and PS3 Mass Effect Trilogy editions. The second DLC, similar to the first, had three new assignments, along with two new locations, and three new achievements. It could be downloaded as a standalone expansion, or you could get it for free with the Mass Effect Trilogy on PC. This one was called Pinnacle Station.
0: Yeah, so it added a bit more to it and tried to, as Derek had said, continue the life of the game. Because they wanted this trilogy, but we're kind of realizing, okay, we've got like, what, six years, seven years to produce all of this. And it already took us this long to do the first one. Uh, We need to put some stuff out to keep like the Emmy name in everyone's mind and to keep people rolling with it. One thing that didn't roll was the cut material. With that amazing segue, let's talk about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So smooth, dude. So
0: smooth. So at the beginning, the Geth were not going to be machines at all. Rather organic Beings. So, if you're thinking those Halo terms, kind of like the Forerunners idea of it. But in this, I think to not make it easier to take them out, but to make them this kind of limitless being, you know, there were those machine aspects to it. Multiplayer. BioWare started working on a multiplayer mode for the game, which would have been the campaign, but co op. Fearing this might take away from the foundation of the single player campaign, they ended up scrapping it to kind of bring that idea into later games. And finally, there was a feature in the game that allowed you to take control of your squad mates and play as them. But it was cut due to unknown reasons. And again, the speculation was more of, you need to be Shepard. Shepard is the main character of you. You design them, so let's do that. Again, in later games and in more of like the the Dragon Age is more of where you see a lot more of that controlling all the characters yourself. But this is really like, Shepard is it. We need to bring that.
1: Yeah, and I... I like that decision. Shepard just being more of an extension of yourself than anything else. I think that's the right call. Controlling the other characters seems cool, but when you're a, you're a commander, like you're the you're the leader of a ship, I think it fits more to do something like that than say like Dragon Age, where uh, this character kind of resembles you, but you're probably not a dwarf or an yeah. elf or you know whatever else. There were tons of options in that game, of course.
0: No, it it made sense. Like you said, as the commander role, and as this being kind of the first game from BioWare, where you're going to design Shepard, Shepard is you, and you're trying to bring humanity to the council. Because humans at this time were seen as just, eh, they're kind of fodder. We're not really having them represented on the council. They don't really bring anything to it. They're just baseline. And so now with this, it's like, how can you prove humanity deserves to be on the council, deserves to be here, and as, you know, the first specter, a human specter, how can you make that shine and, and prove yourself? So it, it definitely made sense. And, you know, we see a little bit
1: differences in the later games, but this first one made sure that this is what we're seeing. One thing that we haven't talked about yet, and it's such a big part of this game, of course, and in every game, in setting the mood is the music. Also, it's, it's the, the Alex disappointment
0: factor. So we're always going to come back to that of, do I own this? And do you
1: own this? No. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. I'm very sad. Now we can do this with somber, somber tones. The Mass Effect original soundtrack. Alex doesn't own it.
0: Yes, that's, and that's it. That's all we have
1: for the music. I don't own it, so who cares? <laughs> so the Mass Effect original soundtrack was largely a collaboration effort with the music composed by Jack Wall and Sam Hulick, with additional music by Richard Jocks, and David Cates, all together forming the Wall of Sound team. Though Wall had previously worked with BioWare on the game Jade Empire, he was still asked to audition for Mass Effect, since BioWare wanted the perfect composer for it. Wall was too busy for the job, but submitted the demo anyway, recommending Hulick for the job. Hulick submitted the demo, but was not chosen after Wall's schedule freed up. After listening to Holic's demo, Wall was surprised they didn't pick Hulick instead. Wall was able to convince Bioware to bring Hulik in as a co-composer for the project. During a pinch where Wall needed to write 40 minutes of cinematic music within two weeks, he was able to bring in two of his close friends, Jock and Cates, into the group to finish the deadline and create a large amount of music rather than trying a collaboration with the signed tracks.
0: Director Casey Hudson had a very specific vision for the music of the game sending the composers references from 80s synth tracks like Tangerine Dream, Vangelis, and Blade Runner. Specifically, Hudson enjoyed the vintage analog synth sounds as well as the multi-layered, multi-textured approach, wanting the synthesizers to be dynamic and express a wide range of emotion. This, however, was a challenge for Wall since he did not have a lot of experience with synthesizers. He would have to study how music was created with synths during the 70s and 80s, they would turn mostly to software rather than hardware for this, using the Moog Modular Five and the Mini Moog Five for the synths and Vienna and Project Sam libraries for the orchestral parts of the soundtrack. Only horn, trumpet, and cello would actually be recorded for
1: those important cues. Obviously, with the technology that's available as to available to us now, mm-hmm. you can take any kind of little keyboard and make whatever sound you want out of it. Yeah, but in two thousand and seven. Uh, while that stuff existed, I don't know that it was as available. I, I, You probably, it depended on the setup. So getting these actual things in there and just kind of recreating what would have happened for a Blade Runner yes. soundtrack or something like that, I think it's a really smart idea. There's no mixed signals there. There's really no fine tuning. That sound is already created and, and well-known and established.
0: Yeah, and you know, obviously to take and be like, I don't, I'm not familiar with synthesizers. I'm not going to pretend like I'm going to learn and work with a synthesizer overnight. Plus we're on crunch time. So let's pull from these libraries we already have, record those major things we can, like the horn, trumpet, and cello for like those like big boisterous cues. That makes sense to me because you can kind of control that a bit more. But to use what they have and to build up such a really awesome, spectacular soundtrack that I think is representative of those 70s and 80s, but a mix of space and 2000s. I think they did really well with it. Mass Effect would end up being one of the most unique projects Wall worked on in his career, stating during an interview with Sci-Fi Wire, quote, we could actually stretch out a little bit and let the music play rather than having the music tell the story. You didn't have to follow everything that was happening on screen. They sort of wanted to return to that idea in some way. And what they kept saying was, imagine you're in an orchestra and somebody's playing a synthesizer on stage with the orchestra. (laughs) Over 750 assets were composed, including transitions, cinematics, endings, outros, intros, music files, and more, despite all composers
1: mostly working from their own homes. Are you ready to be sad? The Mass Effect original soundtrack was released on November 20th, 2007 through Something Else Music Works. and contains 37 tracks totaling 76 minutes and 1 second. Most critics were positive towards the soundtrack, but had complaints that some tracks were just plain boring, partially due to having to fight with the audio space, which resulted in a thin and boring sounding sonic space in certain spots of the game. Several compositions that were written for the game would not be included on the album, but most of these missing tracks have been extracted from the game and uploaded onto YouTube. In the Australian iTunes Store, the soundtrack is incorrectly titled Mass effects as well as having different titles for some of the tracks such as battling sarin being called must battle sarin <laughs> and infusion being incorrectly spelled infusion with a t infusion so,
0: did, did the australian specific itunes store does not care
1: <laughs> it, it had to have been like someone that they they sent it over to submit to iTunes and that person was like, yeah, I don't care.
0: They just quickly typed it out and was like, yeah, yeah, this is probably what it is. Uh, sure. Yeah.
1: yeah, must battle. Battling. <laughs> Maybe they were like reading it and they're like battling. Is that even a word? Changing it. Ch- must ch- battle. Changing it myself. <laughs> in 2021, pre-orders opened up for a Mass Effect vinyl collection for LP box set published through Space Lab 9 in collaboration with BioWare containing the music from Mass Effects 1 through 3, as well as some unreleased or remixed versions of the music, totaling 85 tracks, and I know that this is what you're bummed about yeah. because this is not in the Alex Vinyl Greatest Hits collection. It's, uh, it's not. I missed out those uh, pre-orders. Uh, I,
0: was, I was hesitant because it was like 100 bucks. I was like, do I really want that? And when I said want that, it sold out.
1: So. Yeah, I remember you showing everyone, and I thought you had already ordered it. You sent no. it to me in a text, yeah. and then you shared it in the Discord, and you don't even own it? I was trying to help people out. Listen, I'm just trying to be a good guy. <laughs> uh, so unfortunately, See, have- you helped people out, and now everyone else owns it but you. Listen,
0: I'm just, I'm just a good guy. I'm going down. I'm not a renegade.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, you're the charming shepherd.
0: Yep, as we say. So let's talk about the release versions of the game. We had the standard version, which came out in the Xbox 360, the limited collector's edition. And this edition would include an art book, a concept art book, a 36-page guide to Mass Effect, a DVD containing three documentaries about creating the game, and much more. We had the PC release, the Mass Effect trilogy release, and this edition would be released for the Xbox 360 PC and for the first time on the PlayStation 3. And as we had said earlier, uh, certain platforms would receive the DLC, some had to pay for it. And then finally, as we talk about it today, it is dropping onto the shelves, Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Now, we've wrapped the game up. How did this do with the crowds? How did the masses, how did you and you, and I'm not forgetting about you, like this game? In October of 2007, EA would purchase VG Holdings Corp., owners of BioWare and Pandemic Studios, for $860 million. Mass Effect now belongs to EA. And Mass Effect sold a week early in Australia at EB Games, another rip and piece right there, which all just conglomerated to be GameStop. And when the stores received Mass Effect, there was no street date revealed for them. So they assumed they could just sell it. And they did. And it didn't take long for Microsoft to be like, hey, 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 hey. excuse me, Australia, you spelled the soundtrack wrong, and you're selling the game early. What
1: are <laughs> you doing to us? I'm really surprised by that because when I worked at GameStop, all the boxes that came in like that basically said, like, don't even open this until this date. Mm -hmm. There was tape on there to ensure that people didn't do that. So if it shipped to Australia like that, uh, I mean, okay, that's kind of Microsoft's fault. Sure. But I have to think that there might have just been some people that opened it up to check inventory and. Then it's not labeled anymore, and then it goes out the
0: door. Well, after they translated to Australian, uh, same exact language, but to Australian, <laughs> it said, please do open. It's no longer battling. It's must battle. <laughs> yeah, so it was must open on this date. And they went, all right, open it up. <laughs> I think that's exactly what happened.
1: It only took Mass Effect three weeks to sell over a million copies, selling an additional 600,000 copies only three weeks later. It was originally predicted to only sell 328,000 units by industry experts. Combined with Mass Effect 2, the games have sold over 7 million copies. Sales alone can't define the success of the game. It earned a 91 out of 100 on Metacritic and won numerous awards such as Best RPG at the 2007 Spike Video Game Awards, Role Playing Game of the Year at the 11th Annual Interactive Achievement Awards. And best RPG at the IGN Best of 2007 awards. The New York Times awarded it Game of the Year, and in 2008, IGN has stated that it is the best Xbox 360 game to have ever been released. Dang! I mean, hey, listen, it's it's well
0: worth the award it's getting. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's best game of all time, but you know, in that era of you know just having a lot of shooters and a lot of grays and browns, you know, to kind of get a lot more of this color into Mass Effect and get. These different relationships you could build and bringing a different type of RPG, again, kind of like
1: KOTOR, but bringing it to a different space opera, it's well-deserved. It's a nice breath of fresh air. And it's really hard for me to think about. I, I remember this game being so huge when it came out, but now it's been, you know, 13, 14 years. So it's, uh, it's, it's just hard to imagine now that we've seen like some more space stuff come out in that time frame. Mm-hmm. So really like trying to put myself back in 2007. This was a huge game. Yes, Mass Effect pushed the boundary when it came to inclusivity and representation at the time. More and more games were allowing the main character to either be male or female, along with more customization to their look and appearance. In an interview with SciFi.com, Mark Mir had this to say about Mass Effect's character choices. This is more Jennifer's legacy than mine, but because Commander Shepard can be anyone, male or female, and of any race, it really opened up the potential for who is the hero and the protagonist in this kind of story, in a science fiction action big space opera. What the protagonists looked like and who they were was completely up to the player, and female Shepard specifically is often pointed to as a real breakthrough in terms of sci-fi heroines And I think that's more Jennifer's legacy. But I think that's an important thing. Also, in terms of love interest and things like that, Bioware has always been quite inclusive and progressive in those terms. And you saw that with Mass Effect as well. That pretty much anybody could see their life expressed through the game.
0: I mean, growing up, you know, I I can always see myself represented in characters. So I think it's really amazing that you can kind of be who you want to be. You know, whether the character like, is male female, whatever race, you can kind of make it your own and kind of see yourself as the character. And we're seeing that in, in a lot more games nowadays. But at that time, it was typically they made one character. That's who you were. There's really no deviation from it. So this like mid later 2000s was where we're starting to get into that era of being who you want to be.
1: And it, it fits right in line just with a true RPG. Yes, The more customization you can have, the better. Obviously, there are certain limitations when you have such a dialogue heavy game. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of adhere to like the name and things like that. But to be able to choose different races, to have those uh, pathways allow you to choose either sexual orientation, mm-hmm. I think that that was a-, a better way to get people more immersed.
0: And, and to broaden the crowd that's going to play your game. Exactly. You know, to, to actually see yourself, and it may not, you know, affect you and I, but people who are either underrepresented in it, or that want to, again, see themselves as that character, it's, it's huge for it. And, you know, Mass Effect did fall under some scrutiny for the ability to have sexual relations in the game. Fox News would report the sex scenes as, quote, leaving nothing to the imagination, claiming the player engages in graphic sex and features full frontal nudity, along with being marketed to children and teenagers. Obviously, EA and Bioware were furious about this and wrote to Fox demanding they correct these false accusations. Self-proclaimed psychology specialist, Cooper Lawrence, who was on the Fox News segment, later sat down and watched about two and a half hours of Mass Effect gameplay, later redacting her previous statements about the game. Plogger Kevin McCullough would also say that the game could be made to, quote, sodomize whatever, whomever, however the game player wishes, and claimed, quote, Virtual orgasmic rape is just the push of a button away. Furthermore, the game was also temporarily banned in Singapore for scenes of a human female kissing and groping a female alien. So, uh, again, this is 2007. This is still a very kind of homophobic time. And these are, like, (laughs) they're very, very heavy words with this. I never saw it as that play in the game. I don't think anyone else who truly played the game saw that. I think they're just talking points to like sell your blog like it's only a button push away it's that's
1: yeah that's not it controversy sells
0: yeah controversy sells when you're talking about this and i love like having people say this like i'm like you know having that self-proclaimed psychology specialist in fox news be like this is disgusting and then watching the game be like okay it's actually a game (laughs) people are just kind of silly with that But regardless of the mild controversies that would come from mass effect the game was an overnight success before bioware's mass effect there weren't too many sci-fi rpgs that really stood out though the game has been praised for its storytelling and exploration the combat and camera system left something to be desired at times and a source of dismay with some fans it is obvious though that the dialogue aspect has seen itself in dozens if not hundreds of other rpg titles since luckily many fans would look past the combat and focus more on the immersive story and look forward to what Bioware was going to do with the sequels to the game. Mass Effect is a game that was impressively deep, complex, and open in the sense of how the story was going to progress. It was a game fans did not know that they needed, but were quick to fall head over heels for it and immerse themselves as Shepard, the first human specter, and humanity's best hope for survival. So yeah, I mean, Mass Effect, again, I mean, regardless of what you think of it in terms of some of the controversies or you know, like I know you and I had talked about it for us. It's a bit more of that, sh- the 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 rover, using the rover on the planets, not being able to explore too much. Let's start off. What did we think of it? You know, wh- why did we choose this game? What are your thoughts, Mr. Derek?
1: Well, I think you hit a lot of those points just with what you were just talking about. I mean, especially the dialogue choices. Like I was saying, uh, trying to put myself back in 2007 when this game was big. And having that freedom was, I think, something that certain very, very uh, niche games had explored. Mm -hmm. They hadn't really explored it the way that Mass Effect did. And so I like that very much. But I have to agree a little bit that the combat wasn't always the greatest. Sometimes it was some running and gunning. That fits my style, but I could see where it doesn't fit some other people's. And... The exploration part, I thought, to me, was the most enticing part of this game. Sure. And when I got down into it, I was just kind of disappointed with going to the different planets and things. So for me, I mean, I would give this game like a 6 out of 10. Maybe it would have been higher if we were in 2007. But I think that while it's led a great path for some of the other games, including like the following Mass Effect's, Sure. It's just kind of one of those things that while it needed to happen probably for game development and progress, it's not something that I would get super excited to go back and play Mass Effect 1 necessarily. I mean, that makes sense. You know, I,
0: I'd, I'd agree as well that even for Dragon Age, for me, Dragon Age 2 and Mass Effect 2 were kind of the cream of the crop of both of those IPs. I think the first ones really set the precedent and the story up. But as far as the gameplay, the second ones, perfected it and i'm gonna say like i, I think that mass effect 2 and, and dragon age 2 are, are near perfect in those those realms for it they they took fan feedback really well and applied it to an rpg standard that i think was building at that time you know once you get to the little bit of later to the 2000s you can add more to it i think they did excellent with it but just getting back to this first one it was i mean i will say it's, it was a crown jewel at the time it, it broke a lot of standards in sci-fi. I think they did try as much as they could to be on that Star Wars-esque storyline, which comes close for a game. It's very hard to compare apples and oranges with that, but I think they did very well. I think having some inclusivity, um, especially just in romantic choices or just in the choice of who your character looks like, you know, that's never something I grew up thinking about or had to think about. So it's cool to bring people more into the gaming sphere and to be able to be who you want to be. So I thought that was really amazing to have that. and. The different kind of D and D sci-fi style of choosing your class, going down a class path, and it, it gives that replayability in there. So if you want to be a shepherd who's more stealthy, or a shepherd who's like you said, more a little Tony Montana, going at it and just having some fun with it, you can. And so that's why, like, if I'm going to rate this, uh, Derek's rating, it's okay this time. I'll allow it. We'll just say I'll allow it. We'll we'll say that. But if I had to give this a rating, if I had to give this a rating, I would give it like. Probably a little RV rover car that jumps a little too high. That's a negative. So we'll take that down. Um, add in uh, they're kind of funny lines that come from the Krogans because they, they are kind of funny. They're ugly, but they're kind of funny. I like them because they're just, they're just little beefcake boys. Uh, then like probably like multiply it by being human myself. So like I do want humans to succeed. So I mean, that that is a staple point to it. Uh, And if I had to, like, sum that up, I would probably put all of that out of only ever saving Ashley because she's the only character that mattered out of 10 and a half. You're welcome.
1: I don't know what you just said. I'm I'm going to allow it as well.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Derek. (laughs) Listen, you're going to learn to understand and appreciate it. Everyone out there knows I really the number rating system is archaic at this point. Once you get down to the nitty-gritty of it, you know that my established rating is really what makes uh, ratings possible at this point. Uh, like Viewers like you. So I'm basically PBS. So, just, <laughs> We just need think to about get it.
1: these official ratings somehow into the wikis. Uh,
0: yeah, so if anybody wants to go and edit the wikis and throw these in for these episodes, please do. <laughs> and so that wraps our episode. That wraps our episode of Mass Effect. Uh, it was a fun one. Let us know, what did you think? What did you think? Did you... Play some Mass Effect. Did you quit when Derek did when you had to drive a rover? How'd you feel about it? And are you going to be playing the remaster?
1: Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall and Jesse Reiners, as well as Richard Scanlon and Evan Barr. Music for this episode was composed by Evan Barr. As always,
0: those are cool people. Uh, Most of them. Alex, not so much. But I want to thank our true people who are helping us out, and honestly keeping this going, is our patrons. I say it every episode, but if you haven't, check out our Patreon. We're doing some tweaks to it. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out now over at patreon.com slash finish the fight. That'll let you know what's going on with our bonus episodes, our bonus shows, plenty of other cool content, but we want to thank those supporting us today. And we have Tactics, Sky the Bear, Grant Dillon, Mr. Choff, Cowan Fung Feliciano, Alex Harper, Dilfix, Nick Hyman, Tuna0317, Richard Scanlon, Mick Chief, Big Papa Semecki, Climbing Spork, Mr. 1898, William Kroll, Cameron Collier, and Mr. Toot. So, thank you guys so much for the support. Again, this is really important to us. You know, we do this for fun, but this definitely helps support it, cover costs, all that fun jazz.
1: If you haven't yet, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can join our Discord where you might get the news a little bit earlier, stay up to date, and just kind of have more one-on-one conversations with Alex and myself. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's super fun in the Discord. That's where I love to engage with everyone here. It allows us, like you
0: said, Derek, to just get to know everybody a bit better and just have a bit more fun with it. And as always, check me out over at twitch.tv slash sourman70, where we'll be playing through a bit of cheeky Mass Effect. We'll be able to talk about it as we play through it. Um, and we've got some other content in there. We're going to be doing a couple more collabs if you haven't seen them yet. I know, Derek, we're going to get you starting up soon.
1: So check it out. It's, it's a fun time. And you can listen to us on all your favorite podcast platforms iTunes, Spotify, and anything else. If you haven't, please leave us a review. It helps us immensely.
0: And with that, that was our episode of Mass Effect. I am your host, Alex Kendall.
1: And I am your host, Derek Baker. And
0: thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast.